I'm going to get preaching. And uh, my message this morning is, what kingdom are you living for? It's amazing that we were singing, I surrender uh, in the worship, and I don't coordinate any of this stuff with the worship team. They just listen to the Holy Ghost, and hopefully I listen to the Holy Spirit, and uh, we all end up saying and doing what God wants done. That's an awesome thing, isn't it? Yes. What kingdom are you living for? I'm still on that series that's not, what gospel do you believe? What gospel do you believe? That's the series, and the message today is what are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of self or for the kingdom of God? I, I, I think that the best thing that ever happened in my life, aside my personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the best thing my parents ever did for me was that they left this country. They left their very tightly knitted family. And with much tears and fear because they didn't know what they would find, they left America in 1967. They went to Australia. Now today, Australia is a place where you, if you were to survey Americans, usually three out of four say, yeah, I'd love to go there someday until they find out how long the airplane trip is. It takes about 24 hours, but it's a hot spot. And when we went to Australia, when they took me as a nine-year-old and my two older brothers, they didn't even know if they had English-speaking schools. Back in 1967, we knew very little bit about Australia. Little did I know, there was a little girl running around in Australia that one day would follow me around the world. <laughs> but we went there in 67. I remember my mom weeping often and, and, and saying, you know, we, we don't know if we have a house to go to. We don't know what we're going to. And uh, we don't know what life is like over there. I mean, there was no internet. It's not like you could Google it. Today, you could Google Australia, and it's very modern today. When we went to Australia, um, there was like uh, the street lights were turned off at 9 o'clock at night. I mean, the houses, no one had central heating or central cooling. We went actually thinking that we would have Aborigines everywhere and we would be like missionaries and have to drive four-wheel drives. And, uh, you know, God only knew if we'd have an education. But I say this to my parents' honor and to their credit. And as hard as it was, to leave everything we knew and everything we had, to watch my dad gather his family. And because he loved Jesus, we went somewhere we didn't know where. And they, as parents, took their three sons to the other side of the world uh, just to make a phone call home. It wasn't like, it's not like today. It would cost $60 for like a five-minute phone call. We were totally detached. But that my mom and dad loved Jesus so much. I used to wake up in the middle of the night weeping <laughs> because I would be dreaming about my grandparents and my cousins. And I would wake up realizing that I was on the other side of the world. And I would be weeping out of uh, uh, missing them, longing for them. And I saw the price my parents paid to go to people that were not blood relatives. They were people they had never met before. But Jesus was this all important. And I got to tell you, it left a mark inside of my life. It taught me a lesson that no college university could teach me. It gave me degrees in God that no earthly education could give. And it forged in me a love for my heavenly father and a respect and an honor towards my parents. 
I hold them in high esteem because while they could have lived a, a very progressive American life, they chose to walk by faith and follow Jesus Christ. Amen. And I am richer for it in ways you cannot count. Uh, and uh, it was my joy when Didi and I started a pioneer churches in Australia. We pioneered four churches. We were overseeing 12 churches. And then God told us to come to America. And we came here in Tampa not knowing anybody. And by faith, we just started this church. And uh, over the years, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of people saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, tons of people set free from demons, people healed, awesome, wonderful things. What am I saying? The gospel of Jesus Christ is about a lot more than just you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news about the kingdom of God that's here now and will one day appear in a physical sense. Are you with me? I thought I heard Linda Toop. I can recognize your amen anywhere, girl. In fact, the first Sunday you came back, I thought, I didn't see her, and I thought, Linda Toop is here. I put my radar out. Where is she? Where is she? I didn't find her, but I heard her. All right, I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to put a statement up on the screen about parables. I say this periodically. I want you to see it, so my guys, thank you. Parables are parallels of truths in heaven that God wants to establish on earth. When you read the parables that Jesus told, I want you to read them with this mindset. They're not just stories, a nice way to say Jesus loves you. No. The parables reveal principles and lifestyle of the kingdom of God in heaven, and they are put in a picture form so that we can live out the parallel of that here on earth. That's why when Jesus taught them how to pray, he said, pray, Father, your will be done on earth right now, here in my life, in our life as a church, the way it happens in heaven. God wants to mirror heaven on earth through his church. Can I get an agreement? We have developed a concept where we go to church. No, you and I are the church. As an individual, I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. And corporately, when we come together, Paul says the Holy Spirit is in the midst of you. I am the temple. We are the temple. You are the temple. When we work together, we are the meeting place of God's Spirit. We are the church. Turn to somebody and say, we are the church. I don't mean grace and faith. Turn to somebody on the other side and say, I am the church. Now turn back to the first person and say, you are the church. We've got to get rid of this American mentality where we go to church. Because if we have a concept of going to the church, we will never be the church. And it's the church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. It's you as an individual. It's us as a corporate body of believers. I hear so many churches preach from a perspective where they're so afraid of what the devil is doing and what the devil can do. And it tells me that the church needs to get a revelation of who we are in Jesus Christ. When you understand who you are in Christ, when you stop looking at yourself based on your past failures, when you stop looking at yourself through the eyes of a lying devil, and you start looking at yourself through the eyes of what God has done and how God sees you, when you start to live with that mindset and that attitude, it's the kingdom of darkness that will get a migraine every morning when you wake up. I've said it over and over again. God never destined 
that you and I would be the sport of demons. God never destined that you and I would be the bread of the kingdom of darkness. You're not going to feed off of my life. I'm not floating in some body of water and every base predator is just nibbling away at my life. I am a son of God. I know I'm a son of God. You are a son of God. And you need to understand the great power and authority that is in you. You are not here so that the world can throw circumstances at you and push you around like an inflatable uh, clown balloon that you knock it down and it bounces up again only so that the other person can punch it again. That's not who we are. We are sons of God. He, the government is on his shoulders and he has bestowed governmental authority on us. We are God's policemen in the earth. Paul says in Romans 5 that we rule and reign in this life through one Jesus Christ. And that word rule means we have dominion. We have the token of control. We are the magistrates of God. Come on, it's not just one isolated verse. Paul says, we are therefore God's ambassadors as if he were reconciling the whole world. The United States of America has ambassadors in almost every nation. They are dignitaries. They are the representation of the government of the United States of America. Why do we give that more credence and give it more credibility than the fact that you and I are God's ambassadors. You are dignitaries. The world is made up of the sons of man. But then amongst them are some who are sons of man, sons of God. And that's us. We don't wear that title in an arrogant sense. We wear that knowledge knowing that we are here for a purpose. It's not what the world can give us. It's what we can bring to the world. Amen. The kingdom of God uh, is here now so that we can advance it and affect the rest of humanity. We don't live inside these four walls and we come together and huddle and this is where we get encouraged so that then we go back in the world and get beat up all week. Now this is where iron sharpens iron and there's the clanging of swords coming together and the sons of God get a victory shout in their chest and they know how to stand up and they go out there and they face the Goliaths, they face the giants, they face the kingdom of darkness, not with fear but with faith and they advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If that's the gospel you want to believe in, give the Lord a shout. Yeah, I love it. I love it, praise God. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 11. While they were listening to this, they're talking to Jesus, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, now listen, because is always an important word. Because will give you purpose. So when you see a because in the word of God, you're about to see a purpose. He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now you might say, Pastor, hang on, you've been telling us all along that the kingdom of God is at hand. It means that it is here right now in the presence you told us the word erkomahi, thy kingdom come, is a present tense verb. It is happening around us. The kingdom of God is now. And yet, they were believing that the kingdom of God was going to appear. The kingdom of God is here in spirit. It is invisible. It is not tangible that you can touch it. Jesus said to the Pharisees, they said, where's the kingdom? He said, it's not here or there so that you could say, oh, there it is. The kingdom of God is within you. 
The kingdom of God is now. The realm of Jesus' authority lives in every one of you. I don't care if you're only one week old in Jesus, if you even just gave your heart to Jesus. The kingdom of God is in you and the authority of Christ has been given to you. But the kingdom of God is going to come in a very physical sense as well. Down the road, in the future, at the end of all things, in the restoration of all things, God's going to create a new heaven and a new Jerusalem. And so Jesus is about to tell them a parable because they think the kingdom is about to physically manifest and it's around the corner. I want to show you something about the physical kingdom that will appear. They thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The Greek word is anahino, to make something appear to come out of the unseen. To go from the invisible to physically, he's going to manifest the kingdom. And so because they had a wrong concept, already so early in the stage of the gospel of the kingdom of God, they came in with preconceived ideas from their religious leaders, and they were waiting for a Messiah who was physically and tangibly going to set up a force and an army that would overthrow the empire of Rome and Israel would become the leading nation in the world and through them, the world would come to know about Elohim. They had religious ideas that didn't line up with God's timetable. They wanted relief from the oppression of their Roman governments. We might want relief from the oppression of our governments, irrespective of who is in power. And Jesus said, no, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is bigger than this. And so he's about to tell them a parable. I want you guys to put up a phrase here, in the restoration of all things, God will renew the heavens and he will renew the earth. And a new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven, and it'll come down on this renewed earth. Now, I don't have time to go into it. Some speculate and think it's going to be another planet and a whole new start. No, God always restores in the restoration of all things, in the renewal of all things. The Greek word here for new, and as I read a few scriptures, every time it's used, it is kainos. It means refreshed, a new appearance, as opposed to the word neos, which means here for the first time in time. New, neos, first time appearing, kainos, it is being renewed, remodeled, reshaped, refashioned. Everybody with me? So God is going to renew this earth, and he's going to renew the heavens. And very quickly, I want to draw a picture for you so that you'll understand this parable. We're going to read the parable. But I'm going to lay down some biblical foundations so that you will understand and appreciate the fullness of this parable. In Revelation chapter 21, after Armageddon, after the millennium, after the devil's been unleashed again, and finally uh, Satan is thrown into the lake of fire together with the false prophet and the beast, and death is thrown into the lake of fire. In chapter 21, starting with verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven, Kainos. The heavens were refreshed. They were renewed. And I saw a new earth, Kainos, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. The sea covers 70% of the earth. How is this earth going to hold all the believers over time? A river of life is going to flow from God's throne. And the Bible says it will water the earth but there won't be a sea as we know it now. 70% of hidden land will rise again and it'll be fertile and it'll be lush and it'll be green and there'll be no pollution. 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the sound from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Stop. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve? The restoration of all things. God's concept of salvation is unlike the American gospel where we repent of our sins, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, I feel bad. God's concept is we turn away from the things that were wrong. Our name is written in the book of life, and that's where most gospels stop. They preach the gospel of salvation, but the gospel goes on to say, we are living in the kingdom of God now. We have been reinstated. You know when Paul says you're seated in heavenly places? We have been reinstated back to the position Adam had in the garden before the fall. The whole earth and the kingdom of demons and Satan is now under our feet as it was in the garden before the fall. This is the restoration of all things. And there's coming a period where God is slowly restoring everything that went wrong after the fall, and he will restore the physical earth and the heavens, and God will bring his presence to earth again as on a permanent basis. So it says here, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thank you, Jesus. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things kainos, new, refresh, restored the restoration of all things. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. I grew up in church, and our concept of eternity was that we would all be in heaven for the rest of eternity, dressed in white robes, singing worship. I'm about to show you something from this same chapter. Adam and Eve wasn't dressed in white robes and he wasn't on the other side of the clouds. God is going to restore all things and he renews the earth and he brings a, a renewed Jerusalem out of heaven and he plants it here on earth and the earth gets populated. Uh, every believer will manifest on the earth in a beautiful glorified body just like Jesus had when he rose from the dead. You know, Paul says that the dead in Christ will rise first and will receive a glorified body. And those of us who are alive when Jesus returns, Paul says we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal body will take on immortality. This corruptible, decaying body will take on permanence and strength. Paul actually teaches that we will receive the same glorified body that Jesus had when he rose from the dead. How many of you think that's pretty cool? Yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Amen. I'm not going to have two spare tires around my waist anymore. I'll probably be six or seven feet tall and just full of God's glory. I'll have hair down on my shoulders. Like when I was a young man, I used to have real curly hair and I'd get out of the shower and my hair would just curl up in ringlets and it would hang down on my shoulders and uh, oh, to be young again. How old are you, Adam? Yeah, I'm 24. <laughs> Same chapter, a few verses down. Revelation 21, verse 23 to 26. I want to blow your concept of eternity. 
because we have a very religious concept. The gospel of salvation, listen to me, the gospel that we get preached, the gospel of salvation prepares you to exit the world. But the gospel of the kingdom of God prepares you to conquer the world. Huge difference. The church is waiting for the great escape. And God's waiting for the church to wake up. Because the earth is groaning in anxious expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. How many sons of God do I have here today? Come on. The earth is groaning and moaning for us to get the revelation so that we will bring divine order and release the power of God in our communities and change the face of the earth. There's a reason why the gates of hell won't prevail. We're meant to smack up against the gates of hell and kick it in and push it down and rescue the lost and pull them out of depression and pull them out of control from addiction and every other form of demonic vice. There's a reason why the gates of hell won't prevail. It's not said just so that when devils come against you, you can push them back temporarily. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is that we, the church, the people, not the building, not the organization, will push back the parameters of Satan's kingdom and we will conquer more and more of earth and community and life and industry and put the mark of Jesus Christ on it. Somebody give me a yes! So watch this, verse 23 to 26. The new Jerusalem had just come down out of heaven. It's on the earth. The earth is renewed. Now listen to this description. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. The new Jerusalem. It had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. Now watch, the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, stop. When God recreates the heavens and the earth and he renews it and he brings his glory back to earth and you and I are living in glorified bodies of those that are saved, God will recognize our nationalities. The nations of those who are saved will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and their honor into the new Jerusalem. Wow, they didn't teach me that when I was in Sunday school. I had this oblique concept, this very vague concept of heaven and I gotta be honest, as a little boy it wasn't that exciting. But I understand now the doctrine of restoration. God's going to bring everything back to the way it was supposed to be. And if anything, it'll be even better. And the reason why it'll be better is because the government will be on Jesus Christ. Not the first Adam. It'll be on Christ. And so we will see this earth in all the glory that God originally created it in. And we will live here together and Kings and leaders and rulers and dignitaries will bring the honor of their nations, their produce, the things that they produce, whether it's cedar trees or whether it's gold or whatever industry it is, they will bring their wealth into the new Jerusalem as a form of worship and they will honor God with the strength and the glory and the value of their nations. You see, life's going to go on in a phenomenal way. The lion will lay down with a lamb. A child will be able to play at a cobra's den and there'll be no fear of venom or the snake biting the child and having to call 911. Amen. How many of you are looking for a new earth and a new heaven? You know why in new heavens, the first heaven has been polluted with the existence of demons. But they're going to all be thrown in the lake of fire. 
And so the heavens above us will be one. There'll be no separation from the heavens over this earth and the heavens where God once was. Sin will always separate. And when Adam sinned, that's the last time we saw God walking on the face of the earth. Sin separated. Demons immediately filled the first heavens. But they're going to be thrown in the lake of fire. And you and I will just have the glorious presence of God around us forever and ever and ever. And I love it. Yeah, go on, give the Lord a clap. So watch this. I'm going to try to speed this up. Verse 12 of the parable. So Jesus told a parable because they expected the physical kingdom to appear around the corner. They were waiting for Jesus to overthrow the Romans, and here we go. Israel's going to be the most phenomenal nation on the earth. Verse 12, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. A parable is a parallel of a truth in heaven that God wants to establish on earth. In this parable, the king, the noble man is Jesus Christ. And Jesus went to a distant land to officially be named king of kings and lord of lords. It says, so a noble man of a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas and he said, put these, this money to work until I come back. The problem was the people of Israel were expecting a physical kingdom immediately. And Jesus wanted to point out to them there's going to be a time period between now when the kingdom of God is with you spiritually and then when the kingdom of God comes down physically. Why is this important to us? Because so often we look to the rapture and we look to Jesus coming back. I don't know when he's coming back. I like to believe he's coming back soon. But I am going to live like Jesus' return is somewhere off in the future. And in the meantime, my target is to conquer the earth, to reach every man, reach every woman, reach every young person, stretch out the kingdom of God, kick down the gates of hell, tell devils to go back to hell, set the captives free, get people healed, get them free from depression, get them free from every kind of thing that that demons have wrecked in their lives. I'm meant to be an earthquake to the kingdom of darkness. You're meant to be an earthquake to the kingdom of darkness. Our footsteps every day should bring headaches to demons because they're under our feet. Come on, we gotta change our perspective. We gotta change our mentality. This is not a gospel that saves us so that we could get away and we're gonna fly away somewhere in the future. No. Even God's concept is that once the church has gone through the earth, he raptures us, allows man to reap the the destructive fruit of their labor, and he's still coming back and he's gonna restore the earth and he's gonna put his name and his spirit all over the world. Can I get an amen? amen? So Jesus is telling them a story to parallel a truth that they don't understand. I'm sharing this today because after well over 40 years of preaching, I am convinced the church doesn't really understand. We've preached a gospel of salvation. It prepares us to exit the world, but the gospel of the kingdom of God prepares us to conquer the world. Thank you. I thought so. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you. He said, put this money to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent the delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, 
and returned home. He went to a distant country or distant place to be made king, king of kings, lord of lords. Israel rejected Jesus. They didn't want him to be their Messiah. But he went to a distant place and became king of kings and lord of lords, and he's going to return, church. I said he's going to return. Just like the parable. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Your purpose here on earth is to gain. Your purpose here on earth is to push back the gates of hell. We have got to think bigger than just a church. We have got to think bigger than just 100, 200 people. We have got to think about invading this community with Christian daycare, Christian education, maybe even senior living places. We need to invade the industry that demons are now the master puppeteers over. God wants the salt to get out of the salt shaker and flavor the rest of the earth. Come on, can I get an amen? We, if we don't change the perspective of what we have known to be the gospel, we will have same old, same old. And the devil loves the gospel of salvation because if for no other reason, if he can't keep you out of heaven, he's going to get you so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. He doesn't want you to understand the gospel of the kingdom of God, that it is now, it is here, that we have more authority and more dunamis than any demon has. They don't want you to know that. They don't want you to show up with confidence and rebuke the devil off of somebody's life. They don't want you to use your finances and your gifts and your skill to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They love the American gospel. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, and he's going to bless you, bless you, bless you. You're going to have your ski boat. You're going to have your retirement home. You're going to have five cars, even though it's just you and your wife. Uh, you know, he loves the American gospel because the concentration is on my physical life now and then eternity. Where the gospel of the kingdom of God is about doing the work of Jesus Christ today. Every one of you are commissioned. Every one of you are called to be a witness. Every one of you has been given authority and power. And we, not, we need to start to think like sons of God and examine how can we uh, influence the community, how can we get involved in the surrounding regions and make a mark for Jesus Christ? Turn to somebody and say, I like this gospel. The gospel of salvation prepares you to exit the world. My sins are forgiven. My name's written in the book of life. I'm going to heaven. Bye, y'all. Well, the gospel of the kingdom of God is about a purpose here. It's about the fact that we are rulers. We are God's marshals to take the Hebrew word to rule, marshal. I don't know that it is how we get the word marshal, but they are similar in sounding, so it helps me remember. I am a marshal of God. I am his marshal. It is my job. It is your job. It is our privilege to bind demonic warlords and demonic kings and to crush their work and to set captives free, and to bring the good news, to advance the kingdom, to get Christians into a mindset, I'm not here. God bless me, my wife, and my kids, and that's enough. No, I'm not here for my own enjoyment, God will make sure I get plenty of it, but I am here to do kingdom business. And when I say I am here, I don't mean me as the pastor of this church. 
That's part of the problem. In the gospel of, the, of salvation, the preachers, the kingpin, and everybody else is just a dumb sheep following along. You're not dumb sheep. You are sons of God. You got as many muscles as I do in the spirit. Stop looking at my belly, okay? <laughs> I said in the spirit, okay? You are awesome when you see yourself as who you are in Christ. You are powerful. There isn't a demon in hell who can beat you when you stand inside of Jesus Christ and you stand on the word of God and you say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, devil. If we keep reading the parable, you're going to see something really interesting that ties in with Revelation. And we keep reading the, the parable, it says, the subjects hated him, sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the serpents to who, the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. And the first one came and said, sir, your minner has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. So what Jesus is saying in this parable, and if a parable is a parallel of the truth in heaven he wants to make known on earth, he's saying that when he returns, He's going to look at you. He's going to talk to you. Each one of us will have a time with him. And he's going to say, what did you do to advance my father's kingdom? What did you do? And the guy who was faithful with the abilities and giftings God gave him, this guy had one minute. He produced 10. And Jesus says to him, I want you to be in charge of 10 cities. Now, I know that sounds really foreign because you probably were taught in Sunday school the same stuff I was taught. And this is where we got to break from tradition and believe what the Word of God says. The biggest problem Jesus had with the Pharisees, and he said it several times, he says, you honor your traditions above the Word of God. I don't want you to believe something that isn't in the Word of God, but I do want you to submit your traditions to what the Word of God has to say. Are you with me? Any religion, any, any teaching or any tradition you were taught must line up with the Word of God. This is our only authority, the Word of God. And so Jesus goes on and he says... Uh, um, well done, my good servant. His master replied, you've been trustworthy in very small matters. Take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, sir, your minute has earned five more. And his master said, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, sir, here's your minute. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you didn't put in and you reap what you don't sow. And his master said, I'm going to judge you by your own words. The way you have judged me, I will judge you out of the image that you judged me with. I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am hard, taking out what I didn't put in, reaping what I didn't sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest. Now, Jesus is telling this parable. They thought the kingdom of God was coming immediately. Jesus knew, no, the, the spiritual kingdoms here, the physical kingdom will come somewhere down the road. It hasn't come yet. So this parable is to the whole church, every generation, that in the meantime, we need to be doing our Father's business. We need to be kingdom-minded. I know, you're quiet, it's not comfortable, I get it. 
I'm not uncomfortable. I've learned to preach the word of God and nothing but the word of God. And whether it fits into our American ideology of what the gospel should look like and sound like, I don't care. I am not an American first. I am a son of God first. I am a citizen of heaven. And I will preach you the truth from God's word, whether it fits into our culture or doesn't fit into our culture. Because if anything needs to change, we need to change. We don't change the word of God. Can I get an agreement here? Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Then he said to those standing by, take his minna away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. If you do nothing with what God has given you, when Jesus comes back, your rewards will be slim pickings. You say, well, pastor, that's a parable. You're building theology out of a parable, a story. It's just a fable. It's a vague idea. Rubbish. I will prove to you from Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, this is towards the end of his ministry, and he says to the disciples, listen and look at the parallel to the parable." He says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus said this, not only in a parable. He made up a parable to illustrate this truth. Parables are parallels of truths in heaven that God wants to have happen on earth. We pray that prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ha ha, here it is. How is it done in heaven? God wants us living very kingdom consciously. He wants us understanding that the gospel isn't just about me. The gospel is about the rest of the world. The gospel isn't just about us. There's a whole world to conquer. There's a whole world to get saved. The church used to be the leading voice in education. It doesn't have a voice in education today. And don't be shocked or horrified if somewhere down the road I say, you know what? We're going to start a Christian school. With what they're teaching in our schools today, we want a democracy. Israel wanted a king. They got a king and the majority of them were bad. We wanted a democracy and we hail our democracy. But when the majority aren't Christ-minded or Holy Spirit-filled, you're going to have a problem. And we're there now. And the church used to be the voice in this nation. The problem is somewhere the gospel got switched and it became about our convenience. It became about our luxuries. It became about our blessing. Now I'll be the first one to tell you, God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. Absolutely. I just shared a story how, you know, we made a purchase from a realtor and yet, she virtually put twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars in our pocket. I am the favored of the Lord. I am blessed. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. God will bless me. He will bless you. I, I, I put everything into pushing the kingdom of God forward. I expect those blessings, but my goal is to advance God's kingdom. My goal is to speak into the life of a family and bring order where there's been disorder, to set captives free, to bring the joy of what the kingdom of God can do. And so we have this parable, but it's not just a fairy tale. It's not a fairy tale. It's an illustration of the truths of God that God wants to parallel here on earth. But unfortunately, 
Churches in America are set up so that we go to church and we promise we'll only be here 60 minutes because we don't want to take your precious time. And you come in and you're out and then you spend the rest of your life living to see how much you can accumulate. Jesus said, don't store up treasure where moths can eat it, where rust will destroy it, where the government will steal it. Well, he didn't say the government, but <laughs> where the government will steal it. We've got a new progression here. He says, store up treasures in heaven. We don't realize because it gets lost in English translation, but those words are very literal, and there is a value system in heaven that talks about treasures and wages and rewards. I'm getting a couple of amens. Do you know when Jesus said, the Son of Man's going to come in his Father's glory and then he will reward each person according to what they've done, the Greek word for reward is apodidomi. Apodidomi. Listen to what the translation is. Repay, to give recompense, to restore to reward. I'd love to make what Elon Musk makes. I'd be happy with half of it. But let me ask you a question. Since the God of this world is called Mammon, he's the God of the financial system, if he can reward people he hates like that. Can you imagine the wages, the recompense, the reward that your Father in heaven will give you? You see, we, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't teach this enough. Let me show you another thing. You're gonna love this, I promise you. Revelation 22, 12, Jesus is speaking. This is the book of Revelation. He says, look, I am coming soon. Remember in the parable, the king goes away to be made king, but then he comes back again, all right? He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. This is exactly what the parable is saying. And the word reward here is the word mythos. It is used 29 times in the New Testament. And what does it mean? Pay for service, hire, pay, wages, salary, reward, recompense. You could say, Pastor, you are attributing earthly monetary values to the kingdom of God, and that is carnal. No, you haven't read your Bible. Because when you read the book of Genesis, God clearly says that he put the gold in the earth, and he names places where he put gold, and he put the precious stones there and the precious metals. God planted this stuff. And he gave it value before man gave it value. He gave it value before man corrupted its value. Lucifer, who's fallen now, he was once a beautiful angel. The Bible says he was perfect in every way. And once he was on God's holy mountain in the Garden of Eden. That's what the Bible says. And God adorned him with precious stones. He didn't get river rocks and plant them in his chest. He put topaz and sapphires, and it lists the precious stones. It's not man that has originated this concept of wealth. God has. Did you notice the streets of the New Jerusalem are made of gold? Money is only evil. Wealth is only evil when we use it and make an idol out of it, and it's all about us. But God created wealth and he wants you to be prosperous so that you could prosper other people and advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I need an amen. Somebody give me an amen. This word mythos, pay for service, hire, wages, salary, reward, is used 29 times in the New Testament. And I'm gonna close with this here. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.38, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be rewarded, mythos, according to their labor. Come on, let's stand. I just cut out a bit of my message. I had more verses to prove the same point because I will never build an idea on one scripture. That's a quick way to deception. But I can show you over and over again that this concept is all through scriptures. You say, well, pastor, what are you getting at? Why don't we trade in our American version of the gospel and take up the gospel that Jesus really preached? Why don't we stop living to one day get to heaven and I want to see how much junk I can pile up in my garage here on earth and start living with a kingdom mentality, a kingdom purpose. Listen, I'm not in the race to see who's the biggest, fastest growing church, but I am in the race to knock out as much of the kingdom of darkness as I can and get as many people saved as I can I would love, in Australia, we started a, a, a Christian daycare. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a Christian daycare and little kids come to the daycare, and then we have Christian elementary school, and they go from the daycare to elementary, and then we have Christian junior high, and they go to junior high school, and then we have a Christian high school, and they go to Christian high school, and then they come to Grace and Faith Bible College. Why are we only a church? We gather here and hide here. Come on, I want you to enlarge your vision because we will never be bigger than the concept we believe in. And the gospel of the kingdom of God is a concept so big there hasn't been one human being that has totally grabbed hold of it yet. But we can do our part. I want to shift us from a church mentality to kingdom mentality. I want to see industry set up where the people who are heading it up, they've already made money in the world, but now they want to make money so that we could send money to missionaries. Do you know we support a, a, a Reverend C. Dick Christensen, his name is. He has something like 180 Bible colleges around the world, and this church supports him every month. Yeah, it's not just Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's thing. You say, well, pastor, you, you don't usually take up offerings for all these things. You never took up an offering for FC. No, I know how to manage well, and I take 10% of the tithes, and I say, God, if I teach them to tithe, I tithe, and we're going to make the church tithe, and that goes into missions and benevolences. Wouldn't it be great to start up a food pantry where we could meet the needs? It's going to get tougher out there. Not in your life because you're in the kingdom of God. I want to make that clarification. God is for me. What's going to be against me? He feeds sparrows. He's going to feed me. So I'm a big sparrow. What could I tell you? He's got enough to go around. But church, we've got to stop thinking in the mindset of an American gospel and get back to the gospel of the kingdom of God. Do you know Jesus said something that is almost never preached in the American church unless we preach it in a way to make everyone feel condemned? It's this. He said it over and over again. Take up your cross. If you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow. We want the gospel that only brings a blessing, not the gospel that brings a sacrifice. But you know, it's the sacrifice of our hands and the sacrifice of our hearts that shows God how much we love him. Think about it in terms of a human relationship. If you just give beautiful uh, Belinda here just enough, she's gonna wanna step on your toes and slap you in the face. <laughs> but if you shower her with praise, don't wait for her birthday. Buy flowers anyway. You know, three weeks before I went up to Ohio, I bought my wife some flowers. I love bright colors. And these things lasted. I came home, they were still there for a couple of days. 
gorgeous. But while I was in Ohio getting ready to come home, I'm thinking, how could I get to the store and buy her flowers before she picks me up? Well, I couldn't work out how to do that. So as soon as I'm home, a couple of days after I'm home, those flowers finally had to get thrown away. They lasted three weeks. They were beautiful. Did he? Um, oh, she's preparing next door. So I went and bought her another bunch. In fact, I bought her two bunches. Why? I don't want to live my life half-assed. And if you want to get offended because I use that term, get offended. I think there's bigger things at hand here. I don't want to live my life for Jesus half-assed. He didn't live his life for me like that. He lived for me with great passion. And I want to live for him with great passion. And I want to live for people with great passion. You see, this is the gospel of the kingdom. Where we love the king with all of our heart. And we do everything we can. And we touch everything we can to advance his kingdom and to bless the earth. Because demons want to curse it. I'm going to ask you to follow me as we start to change emphasis more and more and become a church that doesn't just gather here, but become a church that starts pulling down walls and starts planting influence in the community. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, you've been so good, so patient listening to me and I appreciate your attention and your love for the word. As we close here this morning, every Sunday I'm going to do this. I always do it. I always ask, have you asked Christ into your heart? Maybe you're here today and you've never actually asked Jesus in your life. The kingdom of God starts there. You must be born again. Religion doesn't cut it. It won't do it. You could come here and sit in a pew for the rest of your life. It won't do a thing until you ask Jesus to come into your life. It's a supernatural, invisible thing, but it's a relationship. It turns black ink on a white page into spirit and life. And suddenly God becomes so real. I've made tons of mistakes, even after I've become a Christian. There are things I'm glad they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Who could say yes to that? Yes, yes, yes. I, I've probably, you know, I grew up in the church, so I asked Jesus in my heart at a young life. I did more stupid stuff after I got saved than before. I thank God for His grace. I thank God he loves us. We're his kids. And he works with us and he walks with us. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, come on, I want everyone to close your eyes. It's me and you. I want you to raise your hand right now if you want to ask Jesus into your heart. Come on, raise your hand. If that's you, the Spirit of God's calling you. You know it. You've run from it, but he's calling you. Come on, raise your hand. I see that hand. Two hands up the back. Who else? You want to ask Jesus into your heart. You want him to be your Lord. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Who else would like to accept Jesus today and say, Jesus, come into my life. This is awesome. I love doing this. Guys, you realize this is the most important part of the service? Give those people a big hand. Come on. <laughs> yeah. If you're watching by live stream, if you're watching the recorded service three years later, ask Jesus in your heart. It will make the world of a difference. Now, for those of you who have raised your hand, I'm going to ask the whole church to pray and you to pray. We're all going to pray this prayer Let's close our eyes. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you 
for sending Jesus Christ. Jesus, I accept you. I receive you. I want you. I welcome you into my life. Take control. Lead me. Guide me. Walk with me. Talk to me. Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sins. And the blood you shed, the sacrifice you made, let your blood wash away my sins. I believe you are God. And I believe today you live in me and you have forgiven me. And I am born again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.